And the Crow Indian nation said, hello, hallelujah. Praise God. But people got saved and we're glad we were there. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, let's turn our Bibles today to Matthew, the 16th chapter. We're going to springboard off this again. And then uh, this will be, I'm going to wrap it up today about uh, giving. And uh, sometimes people don't quite understand how closely knit together our giving is with our spiritual maturity. In uh, Matthew 16, and let's look at verse 17, and it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the revelation of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And when you use those keys, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now we started talking about what these keys are. Keys open and let things in. Keys shut and keep things out. Now these keys of the kingdom of God, there are many of them, but the one that we're talking about today, not the only one, this is not the only subject in the Bible, but it is a major subject in the Bible, giving, sowing, and reaping. So when we come to the keys of the kingdom of God, one of the keys that Jesus reveals to the church in order to be financially prepared and supplied, not by their own efforts, which he's not against our own efforts, he's not against our businesses, he's not against any of that, but we have to mix that with what God's word says. And so... These keys of the kingdom are also known out of Romans 1, Romans 8, 1 through 7, that talks about the keys or the laws of the spirit of life. The laws of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. Now realize, again, a key opens and a key shuts. It lets something in and it keeps something out. So if the laws of the kingdom of God set us free from the laws of sin and death, then we understand that the laws of life are keys. Laws of life, if we will live within the realm of these supernatural laws, then it will bring life to us. And these laws of the kingdom of God are known as the ways of wisdom. The ways of wisdom. If you'll go back to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, we'll look at, uh, I think it's verse 4 down through 8. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 4, 4 through 8. And it says, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord, now, there are some that did not. There are always going to be people that hear and are not doers. And that's fine, 
but God wants us all to be blessed. But God is subject to his word, to the choices of man, and to the faith of every individual. Could have given amen. And so we know that God is subject to his word because he will uphold all things by his word. That tells us that God is subject to his word. Secondly, we know that God is subject to, his, to the choices of man because he says in Deuteronomy 32, choose you this day. He said, called heaven and earth to record and set before you, you choose life and death, good and evil, cursing and blessing. That means you have a choice. Thirdly, we understand that the promises of God, which are an expression of his will, are only fulfilled according to Hebrews 6.12 by faith and patience. So God doesn't just do what God wants to do. Well, I thought he was God. He is God. But he is a God of justice. He is a God of honor. He is a God of order. And so God is subject to his word. God is subject to our choices. And God is subject to our faith. So our choices and our faith can keep God's will from coming to pass. Jesus went into his home city, Mark the sixth chapter, and he could there do no mighty works. The indication, if he could do no mighty works, he came there to do mighty works. He could not do mighty works because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith in Christ. So we have to understand that God isn't just doing what he wants to do or every sinner would be saved and you and I would be toting the line. So let's just realize that God's not doing that. Amen. We could all look back past the seven days and realize that God had lost control because we've lost control. Amen. All right. Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter and verse four. But that ye did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day what happened to the ones that did not cleave they died they simply succumbed to death behold i have taught you statutes and judgments even as the lord my god commanded me and that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it so the land that we are in the land of the kingdom of god has to do with laws somebody say laws it has keys. It has things that help it operate and things that bind it. And then it says this, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God in all things that we call upon him? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Now we add something different to the formula. What we add is, number one, Jesus gives us keys. Number two, we understand that the keys are laws they are called laws of action that you can have a law 
But if you don't put the key in, you are subject whoever is on the other side of the door. Now, the laws of the kingdom or the laws of the spirit of life are based on being mixed with faith, which is a law. What is faith? Faith is a verb. It is an action. In other words, you can have the laws of life, but if you do nothing, please, you yourself, by doing nothing, make a decree that God is not God. Because the Bible said that a wise man says that there is God, but a foolish man says there is no God. So when God gives you the keys of life and the keys of the kingdom, the laws of the spirit of life, when he gives you the wisdom like he gives nobody else so that you can live by them, conquer the adversaries that you're going to confront in the kingdom that you're in, when you do so, you are living with an acknowledgement that God is on your side and that you are subject to him. Now, whosoever does not do these things, I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm just telling you what the word says. If you have the word and don't do it, you're going to be like a foolish man whose life is a total wreck. Not that it should be, but because of your choices and your faith, it will be. Could I get an amen? Listen, we have got to come to the point of stop living independent of our God. If we want the world to say, these are the people of God, then we're going to have to start living in a realm of wisdom instead of a realm of foolishness. And because if, if we don't, we're going to be separated and death is going to overtake us. Jesus made a profound statement. If you will keep my sayings, you will never see death. Listen, death does not have to rule us. Well, we're going to have a tribulation. We're going to, well, that doesn't mean it's going to rule you. It means you have a skirmish with it. Amen? We need to just, don't quit making excuses for not being what God wants us to be. There's only one reason that it's not happening. Me. All of us is the greatest companion of the devil to a defeated life. Did you hear me? Every individual that is failing in life is the greatest asset that the devil has to get to that life. The Bible says you can stop the devil, neither give him place. The Bible says you can submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There are basic truths that we have to understand. So here we have the spirit of the laws of the spirit of life. And then the Bible tells, tells us this. I, I found this. And it says this in Proverbs 23, verse 4. Labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. Stop doing things your way. Why? Because you're going to find yourself laboring but you will run out of strength trying to labor, provide for yourself, provide for your children, and to be an active participant financially in the kingdom of God abounding unto every good work. You don't have enough hours. 
your business cannot expand big enough. Could I get an amen? Now listen, I believe in businesses and I believe in working. I believe in working and doing what the Scripture tells us to do, yet adding the wisdom of God to it. See, the Bible says if the man doesn't labor, he does not eat. The Bible says he that stole, telling to stop it and get a job so that he may have seed to give. Now, that does not mean that you live off your giving. I've heard people, there's a book out there that says, you know, live by your giving. Well, listen, the Bible said if you don't work, you don't eat. You cannot neglect the skill that God sovereignly put in your life and call it faith while you're doing something and neglecting the talent that he gave you. There is a balance. You are a giver, and that giving helps you to begin to sow so that you can have all sufficiency in all things. But never does God condone laziness. Moving right along. You have to work if you have a skill. If you don't have a skill, get a skill. There's a young man came up to me the other day. Now, now get this. I think this is the right story. Is Neil here? Neil, come up here. Come up here, Neil. Come here, Neil. Come here. Come on up here, Neil. He doesn't even know who he is. His wife had to tell him, that's you. <laughs> Phyllis, you give me that microphone. Now, Neil has been attending this church ever since he has been, a, how old were you? A baby, 11 years old. Now, Neil, tell me what you have been doing for years until about three or four weeks ago. Delivering the newspapers out of a car. Been delivering newspapers out of a car. But you weren't negligent. You were saving money out of that time. And you just bought you a what? A new lawnmower, a new, a new dryer, and a new car last year. And you paid cash for it by delivering newspapers. Yep. And, I got a new and then he came up to me last week and said, Hey, Pastor, my wife's happy with me. And I thought, Well, that's a first. No. And then you told me you just got a new job. Now, he's been faithful all these years. Now, listen, he's been a tither and he's been a giver, passing out newspapers. But because of his tithing and his giving, and I know it's because of tithing and giving, nobody makes enough money to save enough money to pay for a new car cash, to buy a new dryer by cash, and to buy a new lawnmower by cash unless God is on his side. And so, you just got a new job. And what are you doing? Driving tow motor. And you told me your wife was very happy with you on the first paycheck. Yep. How much was that first paycheck? A lot. <laughs> he, 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 you already told me how much. I know how much your tithe check's supposed to be. So, so, <laughs> so how many more times is that tow motor job compared to your newspaper job? Double. At least double. At least double. For one week. For one week. And I know that you, you did that consistently and still came to church, paid your tithes, and you gave, and God blessed you, and your wife is happy. She happy this week too? Okay. She's happy. Okay, all right. Thank you, Neil. Now, 
I'm just telling you that there is a way that you might think is right, but you know what? Neil kept at it. Now, I don't know how much newspaper people work or how much they make, but he drove an old car. And he said, but out of that, Pastor, you know, God blessed me, and I paid cash for my new car last year. Cash. It might be from those Christmas tips that people give them. Hallelujah. And I think they deserve them. So realize that Neil applied the wisdom of God. He didn't just do it his way. He did it God's way. Because people that try to be their own provider, try to be their own God, disengage from the laws of the kingdom of life or the keys of the kingdom, what happens is the devil will turn around and consume you. Because the Bible says this, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. Now that simply means you do that because there is an adversary. He's going around like a roaring lion and he's looking to find somebody that he can devour. Who does devour? Devour. Not those that God protects, but those that are caught up in worry, in anxieties, in concerns about tomorrow, what they're going to have and so forth. And what they do is they disengage God and they begin to take their own care of their own life into their own hands and begin to be wise in their own eyes. But the word cast means take your anxieties and your problems and put them over on God and do things his way. That's what it means. And the devil is having entirely too much access to the believer. Could it get an amen? What we need to do is shut him down by simply using the keys and the laws of the kingdom of life and being wise, not like men, but wise like God. Hallelujah. So let's go over to uh, 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, and verse 6. We're going to read down through this passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to talk to you about some of the things that keep people from sowing and reaping. Sometimes people think that you have to have a lot to sow, but the Bible tells us not to despise small beginnings. The kingdom of God is like a man would sow a seed, a mustard seed into the ground, and it would grow up, and then the birds of the air would come and fly into it. You've ever seen some, I have a picture on my Facebook page that uh, shows a mustard seed that has grown into a mustard tree. And what it does, it creates literally an independent ecosystem of its own within the covering of that. And that's what every Christian does when he begins to operate by the seed process of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a man that sows a mustard seed and it grows up and then the world comes and is attracted to it. That is what happens to the man or woman that begins to operate in the wisdom of sowing and reaping. They begin to create this kingdom ecosystem within their self where God is the provider of all that man does. Hallelujah. Remember 
the devil said about Job. You put a hedge around him, I can't get to him. God never put a hedge around Job. Job put a hedge around himself by doing what God told him to do even though life was falling apart. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians, the uh, ninth chapter, and let's look at verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. For God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in how many things? All things may abound to every good work. Now, is that God's desire? Yes. And then it says, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, that's God, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown, and he increases the fruits of your righteousness. That tells us that our sowing and reaping is divinely connected to our spiritual maturity. You look at verse 9, God sows and disperses abroad, and his righteousness remaineth forever. In other words, the more that we are able to respond to man's needs the way that God would respond, therefore the more character and naturistic we are with him. And then it says this in verse 11, being enriched in everything, hallelujah, to all bountifulness which causes through us the thanksgiving to God for the administration or the activity of giving, sowing, and reaping, not only supplieth the wants of the saints, but is abundant also to many thanksgivings unto God. While by the experiment, that word experiment means by the experiencing of this ministration or of sowing and reaping, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ. There it tells you that the expression, our giving, our distribution directly connects us with the Christ nature. And it says it's for your liberality or your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. That tells you where your seed ground is. It's to all men, to the wants of the saints, to giving to other people that opens up wellsprings of thanksgiving and not only to the saved, but unto all men. And then it says this, by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, the grace of sowing and reaping. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, let's notice a couple of things. In verse 6, I want to bring out this. He that soweth sparingly, reaps sparingly. He that soweth bountifully reaps bountifully. Now, your financial status in life, your spiritual ability to be used of God, led to do and be involved in good works is not subject to God. It is subject to you. If you want 
to reap sparingly than sow sparingly. You mean I don't have a lot because I sow a lot? That's what God said. That's what God said. Now, if you want a lot, then you're going to have to sow a lot. Could again get an amen? Come on. Sowing and reaping, having an abundance, God is able. God is able, but he cannot supersede the laws of the kingdom. What is the law of kingdom? If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. So consequently, God's hand is very limited to the resources that he put in the world because of the lack of sowing and reaping in the laws of the kingdom of life and the keys of the kingdom from the church. The The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. We're all waiting for sinners just to be crushed and the money be thrown on the streets. No, it's laid up for the just, but you're going to have to use the key of sowing and reaping to unlock it. You're going to have to use the laws of the kingdom of life that supersede the laws of sin and death. You're going to have to become wise instead of living a half-foolish life. Well, God's real on Sunday when I worship, but he's not real on Monday when i got to pay my bills. Just a thought. Every man as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity. Those are usually the motivations of Christians to give. Christians to give. Sometimes uh, uh, over the years that uh, people have come up to me and, uh, you know, and they'd say uh, something to me and I'd say, well, you know, we're, as soon as we get enough money, they'd say, well, well Pastor, here, wonder, I'll, I'll sow into that. And they just pay for the thing. And they say, well, I, I, I didn't know you had a need. Why should you have to know that there's a need? There should be an abundance, not out of grudgingly or necessity. It should never be the criteria of a pastor to have to express the needs of a church to a congregation that is reaping the benefits of the church. Our abundance is supposed to overflow into our church. Yeah, it, it is. You say, oh, you're just trying to get money. Please. What I'm trying to do is get fruit that will abound to your account. And I didn't write this, and God didn't give this to me personally, and it doesn't have my inscription on the end of it. God wrote this. Now, you can complain and, and do all you want to do, and you can get religious. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Amen. All right. Now it says, as every man purposeth in his heart. What does that mean? Do you know that what you purpose or set before you, and then you begin to sow, and you begin to distribute towards that purpose, that's what you will fulfill. Without a vision, people perish. So even if you give 
to your church and so forth, if you don't have a vision bigger than what you're already doing, you will become obsolete someday. You have to have a purpose. I have a, a you know, how I many of you know Jesse Duplantis? Last time I mentioned the name of his congregation, people got up and walked out because of his airplane. Who cares? Just because he, he's got a brain bigger than ours that, that doesn't make him the enemy of God. Well, he shouldn't have that. Well, where does it say in the Bible he shouldn't? All right. So Jesse, every year he sees me, he says, Peter, I'm still believing. I'm going to pay your church off. Every year he tells me that. Peter, Kathy, and I are still believing we're going to pay your church off. Hallelujah. I wish I had 20 Jesse's or 20 people that have purposed to be Jesse in the church. But see, most people's purposes, now I'm not getting on you, I'm trying to clear the glass off. Many people's purpose is just self-centered purpose. Could it get an amen? Yes. And it's all about, well, when I retire, well, we want to have plenty. We, and those are great purposes. God's not against that. He wants you to labor, and he wants you to eat of the fruit of that. But listen, you are a part of something bigger than your life, and that is the kingdom of God. And if you think that doesn't move people, ask a centurion that built them a synagogue where it came to Jesus and said, he's worthy that you might do that. You know, your giving gives you a place where God recognizes you because Cornelius' giving and vows brought him to a place that there was a memorial in heaven. Every time God walked around and said, oh, man, I, I owe that guy something. I ought to do something for Cornelius. And he did. But see, most of our perspectives of purpose, and, and look, it's just human nature. But we are, we are involved in getting engrafted in us the Christ nature. Amen? And the Christ nature says, I didn't come to be serviced. I came to serve. I didn't come to take. I came to give. And that is the nature of God. He is a giving God. He is an increasing God. And if we don't get that nature in us, it is, it is just without without question that our righteousness or the fruits of our righteousness are going to be stagnant, are going to be stagnant. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. So we as Christians, we want to have the Christ nature in us. When we get that Christ nature in us, we get a kingdom purpose, a kingdom purpose. I hear people say this, and well, we were pay, set down pair of bills, and I told the wife, well, we got to pay our tithes. Oh, you got to pay your tithes. You get to pay your tithes. You get to pay your tithes to be blessed by God. Now, you don't have to pay your tithes. You can be cursed by God. You'll curse yourself because you'll cut yourself off of the way of wisdom. And so when... When we get this, really, just look at our lives. Let's, let's just take off the Christian math and say, do I have a purpose 
for the blessing of God that is not centered on me. Not very many of us do. And thank God if you do. Because that is only the God nature in you. It is not the natural nature or the common nature or the Adamic nature. That's all self-centered. And as the world comes to an end that we are in the midst of riding the chariot into, it says this, that in the end men shall be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. In other words, it's going to be one of the signs of the time that men are going to stop considering what God is involved in as being a purpose of their life. And so when we don't have a purpose for our finances that are directed towards the kingdom, just know this, that the love of self is taking root. There's a kind of hush all over the world tonight all over the world people just like a falling in love get the ball out fellas hallelujah praise and let me tell you why christians don't give besides having no purpose it just my world and H-E double hockey sticks to the rest of you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The first thing is, is that people think they can't do it unless they have a big amount to start. No, don't despise small beginnings. Start giving pennies. I could tell you stories of people that started bringing handfuls of money into the offering, pennies, nickels. That's all they had, and that's what they would round up every week. Pretty soon, a breakthrough came for them, and one night they were broke. The next night, they were buying new cars, going on vacation, and that's how fast it can happen. Well, I wish it happened to me. Well, start out with pennies and nickels. Prove yourself faithful in little things. That way God will make you rule over many things. All right? The uh, second thing is let's go to Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Can I have that on the screen? There you go. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Let's stop right there. Understand that when you cast your seed, now bread is certainly a symbolism of some type of harvest, but out of your harvest, you are to cast. But bread comes from seed. It comes from seed. And so out of your harvest, you take and you cast it upon the water, for thou shalt find it after many days. In other words, it's guaranteed to come back. Listen. You remember when the angel came to Daniel and said, from the first day that you prayed, Daniel the 10th chapter, the great battle with Michael the archangel in the heavens against Satan, keeping Daniel's answer from coming to him, the angel breaks through and brings it. He says, from the first day 
that you prayed God heard you. From the first day that you sow a seed in faith, its harvest has been declared. You may not see it. You may have to wait. You, the battle may go on. But that's what you have to do. You have to stand and resist the devil and know that God is faithful. Let the seed fulfill its process because once the process is fulfilled, the harvest comes. Amen. All right. Let's go to the next verse. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. In other words, when you sow seeds, there are evil forces, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers in heavenly places that set out to stop your harvest. Now look, we're not foolish. The Bible says, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing, knowing, knowing. Look, we're not stupid people. We know there is a devil. But stop being so weak-kneed that we always cave in to what he's trying to put the pressure on. You are more than he can handle. You are blood-washed, blood-bought. You are an authority-invested believer, and you have a right to victory. And the only reason he's coming is because he's already seen the answer on its way. Remember, he's a father of lies. He's not the God of truth. All right, then it says this. And if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall towards the south or towards the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth, watch this, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, but you and I do, you and I do, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the work of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not what shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. In other words, there are always going to be percentages of loss because the enemy is coming. And you may not be able to uh, keep him out of everything because your hands are involved in lots of things. But... You don't give up on the process of sowing and reaping. You don't get so discouraged by the enemy doing one thing that you stop releasing God to do things in your life. And then it says this. Look, if you start looking at your circumstances, you're never going to sow. You're never going to sow. Let me tell you something. Phyllis and I, when we started out in ministry, we were broke. We used to try to get home in time to get the red tags off our door so the neighbors didn't know that we couldn't pay our bills. 
Phyllis will tell you. There were times we didn't have food for the table. People had to bring, what did God bring? One day knocked on the door, brought a whole turkey for it. Days that, look, we had a water running in our ceiling, didn't we? We just put pans out. But we believed God, and one day a guy showed up at my door and said, the Lord sent me over here to fix your ceiling. I said, well, did he tell you the roof is the problem? He said, we'll get to that too. Now, look, you just think somebody just stops at your house and does that. So we never, ever know what God's going to do, but we do know that he's working on our behalf. So let's not observe where you're at. Look, God has given us the keys to the place of increase. If it's a penny you sow, then you sow a penny. When I first got in the ministry, we didn't have no money. I would have somebody drop me off in the city and I would walk the streets of the city. When I saw people mowing a yard, I'd go up to them and say, Hi, I know this might be weird to you, but I need seed to sow so that God will bless me. Can I mow your yard? They'd say, Well, yeah, have at it. <laughs> and I'd mow their yards. Then I started working for a, a sign guy, free. I would go with him. And uh, when I wasn't working for him and helping put up the sign, he let me street witness to all the people. So I got to witness. And then I worked for a, a concrete guy. Boy, was I glad that was season was over. Hallelujah. I just do not think that is a task that I'm built for. <laughs> now, being a concrete boss, yes. But being one that really jumps in there and works and loses their boots every time you pull them out, and they, somebody help me, help me, I'm getting... No, that's not for me. I have a higher calling. Praise God. No. So the first thing is, don't be moved by where you're at. Don't be moved by where you're at. God is a master of rescuing you in hopelessness. The second thing, change the way you think. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, these are practical things, but they will transform your mind. That God is able to do above and beyond all you ask or think start thinking bigger than where you're at in other words if hey you know uh, we're going to need a car well start looking at cars well, we don't have no money it don't cost anything to look at least that's what Phyllis tells me she said I'm just going to look today and I know when she said don't cost nothing to look that's a lie every woman is enticed to spend money when she looketh, and when the look is conceived, it bringeth forth cash money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a biblical principle. Start thinking differently. Start, stop thinking about, we never have enough. We're not poor. Stop that kind of stuff. Get it out of your vocabulary. Well, how's that happen? I don't know. It's God. And then... The other thing is protect your field. How do you protect your field? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 22, 9, don't sow your fields with diverse seed. In other words, don't start sowing seed and expecting a harvest, then trash talk your harvest. Trash talk your problem. Trash talk 
what God's going to do. Well, it probably never happened to me, but, you know, there ain't nothing else I can do. Yeah, if I was you, I'd keep my money. Stop trash-talking your seed. Amen. Now when, when we want to buy something, we don't have money, Phyllis says, it's not a priority. Like food is a priority over a shotgun. What type of reasoning is that? Buy me a shotgun, I'll bring your rabbits home forever. Amen. You go to Kroger's, you'll be back next week. In our case, in the middle of the week. In fact, in our case, every other day. In fact, in our case, we got a key to Kroger's. <laughs> the Bible said in 2 Peter, you want to see life in good days? Put a watch on your mouth. Put a watch on your mouth. So we begin to speak things that are not even though we don't see them. And the third and the uh, fourth thing I, yeah, the fourth thing you need to do is begin to still the adversary's activity towards you and your seed by giving praise. As soon as Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 18 on down through the end of the chapter, as soon as he found out what God was going to do, he began to celebrate and he began to thank God. Just thank God. Just thank God. Now, let me say this and we're going to wrap up. Don't wait till you are overcome with need to start sowing seed. That's a necessity. No, you start sowing seed with the purpose to become active in the kingdom. You seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added unto you. So again, purpose, that I'm not just going to do this just to get out of the hole that I'm in. No, I'm going to start doing that with the purpose that I will be actively involved in what God wants me involved in. Every good work. Amen? So we're going to start sowing. We're going to start being givers, more so than we have ever been. To those that are saved and those that are not saved. To the poor and to the blessed. To the poor and to the blessed. One time I, I knew a rich guy and he said, that woman just tried to give me a dollar. He said, I told her, I said, I, I don't need your dollar. I said, well, you knucklehead. And uh, he said, what? I said, you didn't need her dollar, but she sure needed your harvest. I should have told him, go over there and give her $5,000. I think that was the number of the harvest. <laughs> no. But realize this, folks. Your seed will take you where your skill and your earthly ability will never take you. Never take you. This is the kingdom of God. It is a way of life. It is a way of the wise. And it is guaranteed to produce for you and I. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Wednesday night. How many of you were here Wednesday night? Can I see the skeleton hands? All right. We talked about stopping self-destruction. And we're going to continue it this week so that we can get ourselves free from the entrapments of the devil. Hallelujah. And God wants us to be blessed. Amen? Hallelujah. I do thank you for allowing me to go to the Crow Nation. And uh, just you just never know to see 
a nation because it's been neglected, dying. There are less than 5,000 people that speak the Crow Nation left in the world. 5,000. They were once covered mountains in their numbers. And now, most of them, a lot of their children growing up, drugs, alcohol. Their big, big success is to get a trailer and a piece of land. But they are a valuable, treasured people. They are part of the heritage of our great nation. And uh, we always want to honor them. And uh, that's why we go. And uh, I think I was bombarded by millers all night. I mean, man, I had like, I took my shirt off, had like three or four millers that got down the back of my neck. I don't know how many I swallowed. But I know I wasn't hungry that night after getting done preaching. So I'm telling you, they were everywhere. <laughs> Eric said, man, a man, pastor, them things were bombarding you. I said, yes, I tell you, devil try to kill you any way you can. Hallelujah. And uh, of course, I've never heard of a man being killed by an overrun of millers. Hallelujah. But people come out and people are blessed. Souls were saved. And uh, that is all accredited to us. All accredited to us. So I thank you and I know they thank you. And, uh, you know, God's doing something out in that nation. And uh, so we, we've just been a part to bring it to where it's at right now. So let me pray for you tonight, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for your grace of sowing and reaping. God, it is this grace where Jesus became poor, that through his poverty that we might be enabled, that we might be empowered with abundance, made rich, God, for the sole purpose of doing good in the kingdom of God. Let us never desire anything else except to put you first, that God people will know who you are. Direct us. Let us be givers, God. Wherever we are, start out. Let us not observe the signs of the times. Let us not observe the winds and the sun. Let us not observe the defeats of the devil. Let us sow, God, with a purpose to receive and to be enabled to abound unto every good work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.